It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone, it's your host Edward Ford and welcome to the Growth of Podcast, the show about all things B2B SaaS marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Advanced B2B, the growth marketing agency that helps B2B SaaS businesses generate sustainable revenue growth through marketing. So if you're looking for an agency partner who will help you get measurable results from your marketing, then check out advancedb2b.com for more info. Now joining us today on the show is Bill Masitis, former SVP of marketing and CMO at Salesforce, Zendesk and Slack, and also our first ever two-time guest. And today we're talking about how to build a billion dollar SaaS company. Now, many SaaS founders, CEOs and marketers dream of building a unicorn business, and it's something Bill has done on several occasions throughout his career. So I caught up with him to hear how it's done, and Bill covers some great topics, including how Mark Benioff convinced him to leave the world of consumer marketing and make the move to B2B SaaS, what it was like to work with Mark Benioff directly, and how he brought a B2C mindset to the world of B2B marketing. Bill also covers how marketing teams can help create a billion-dollar valuation, how you should structure your marketing teams, and the marketing philosophies and playbooks Bill ran at Salesforce, Zendesk, and Slack. Now, one additional thing I'd like to say is that this is my final episode as host of the Growth of Podcast, and I'm excited to announce that Seiya Lappalainen and Reta Westman will be taking over. Bringing you these interviews over the last few years has been a real pleasure, and I hope you've enjoyed them and got a lot of ideas, inspiration, and value so far. So thanks again for listening, and I can't wait to see where Seiya and Reta take the Growth Hub podcast from here. And with that being said, though, let's get into today's episode. So here we go with episode 84 of the Growth Hub podcast with Bill Masitis, former SVP of marketing and CMO at Salesforce, Zendesk, and Slack. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome Bill Masitis to the show, former SVP of Marketing and CMO at Salesforce, Zendesk, and Slack. So Bill, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me on again. Honored to be here. Yeah, and we're making Growth of Podcast history here as you're our first ever two-time guest. Your original episode from back, I think, in 2017 is our most downloaded in the show's history, and... I'm so excited about this episode as it's a topic almost all SaaS founders, CEOs, and marketers will aspire to, and that's how to build a billion-dollar SaaS company. It's something you've been part of on several occasions in your career, and I want to start off by going back to how you got into SaaS in the first place. Now, in your 2017 interview, you said something very interesting about this as you were working at Fox Interactive at the time and had a strong background in B2C working with brands like IGN, Rotten Tomatoes, American Idol, Fox Sports. And you said, quote, I got a call from Salesforce and Mark on the B2B side, and Mark was looking to infuse a little more B2C DNA into the company, quote. Now, this was way back in 2009, and that Mark was Mark Benioff, who was basically the godfather of SaaS. So to kick things off, tell us, how did Mark Benioff convince you to come and work in SaaS? Yeah, it's a crazy story, right? And man, Mark is just, let me say this, like he is amazing. Like what just an awesome individual, also an, an amazing philanthropist for those that actually follow that. He's done such good work in San Francisco. 
Um, but yeah, they had reached out and I was a consumer guy, right? I'm like, do you have the right number? Are you sure? Like, do you, have you looked at my background? <laughs> um, but you know, I was talking, you know, with them and, and, and he was just so passionate about this SaaS revolution, right? And, and it was amazing because it was early on, right? And for those that are old like myself, right? Um, enterprise software used to be sold by like top down, you'd literally get disks, you install it on your own servers, right? And he's coming here and like, no, no, don't do it that way. Just give me all your most important customer information. We're gonna store it in the ethos and the cloud. It'll be fine, trust me, right? Um, and it was like this, massive change. Um, but I just believed in it. I was like, God, this makes so much more sense. Like SaaS, you know, one live version. Remember in the old days too, you would have like, you know, 11 different versions of software. You weren't sure which one you were on. You'd have to pay like all these like maintenance fees. It was such a horrible model. Um, and you could only sell top down in. And I just like really believed in the model. You know, um, I loved, I loved Mark. I just thought he was like a great individual. I could learn a lot from um, and I got excited, right? And I've always wanted to work for companies that are kind of changing the world in a better way. And I just thought, you know, this SaaS revolution was something that would, you know, eventually, you know, take over all software, right? And I think he is kind of the, the, the SaaS godfather. So I just feel, you know, super honored and lucky that our, you know, paths crossed at that same time. Yeah. And a lot of people in SaaS look up to Mark Benioff, his book, Behind the Cloud. I think it's basically the Bible on SaaS. So I think we'd all love to know, what was it like to work with Mark Benioff directly? He has a personality, right? Like he is well, one, I don't know, for those I haven't seen him in person, he's just a big guy too, right? I'm, I'm like 6'1", he's like way taller than me. He's just a big guy, like this imposing, um, amazing personality, right? And we would always talk about in marketing, right? Like you're when you have a personality like Mark, you're flying close to the sun, right? <laughs> so that's both awesome and hard, right? Um, because he loves marketing. He wasn't like a CEO that's like, oh, I don't really get marketing, just go do your thing. Like he loved it, right? And so he was always thinking about, you know, what's the narratives of Salesforce? How do we get into the news? Like, how do we get more momentum? Um, he was also, which I personally liked, and I really evolved my philosophy on just super customer centric, right? He would always talk about how do we, become more uh, customer obsessed? How do we make sure our customers are successful? And I think he realized that, you know, Salesforce kind of changed the model with this whole bottoms up, right? Where you could just start using it in small little deployments and not like a traditional top-down sale. But in order to do that, you had to have successful customers, right? And he had to create a culture where we were, you know, obsessed around making sure that these customers were successful and had a great experience with us. So, um, you know, it was both incredibly fun um, it was hard, right? Just because, you know, he's looking at every single thing you do. Um, but ultimately, like I said, he was just a great individual. I learned a ton from him. Um, and, and I think, you know, I owe a, a huge amount of, uh, debt and gratitude to him. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's clear from his book that he gets marketing, uh, more so than most marketers, I would say as well. And so he wanted you to bring a BTC mindset and playbook into Salesforce, which is also something many SaaS companies are thinking about today. But this was, you know, as you said, he was way ahead of the game. This was back in 2009, 2010, and he was already thinking along this path. So what were some of the things you brought then from your B2C marketing background into the world of B2B SaaS marketing? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's something that I, I tried to approach on, on multiple fronts, right? Because if you think about it, like consumer marketing or consumer online marketing is a lot like 
actually B2B high velocity sales, right? Because you're not always going through this long sales experience. A lot of times it's like you're getting them to buy online, sign up, start using the product, right? Um, so from a tech stack perspective, I just really tried to modernize, you know, what Salesforce was doing. Um, even when I came in, it still was a very sales centric organization. And so I was like, Hey, how do we create like a massive, uh, demand gen engine, which I know we'll talk about a little later too. Um, you know, how do, how do we get multi-touch attribution modeling and how do we get predictive lead scoring and how do we get marketing automation and how do we get web analytics and, uh, multivariate testing in, right? Like I was a big tech stack guy because I knew in order to grow and scale efficiently, you had to build that up. You had to build up that discipline. Um, and, you know, it, it, as much as, you know, outbound sales is great, that's hard stuff, right? Like you're going out there, you're paying salespeople really a lot of money to go cold call people to try to get them. I'm like, hey, we can use more advanced marketing tech, um, build up really a content marketing engine, focus on SEO, focus on ABM campaigns, all these things to build a more of a modern engine. And um, I think that was one, and that was a little bit different. You know, like that was just something new for Mark and new for overall for Salesforce. Um, the other thing that I tried to bring in was, and I think Salesforce was really receptive to, and I definitely took with me to Zendesk and Slack was like, hey, um, build something unique, like build an iconic brand, build, build a brand that people like laugh and smile and enjoy and have a great experience with. So you'd see like a Salesforce, like Sassy, our mascot. Um, certainly like when I was with Zendesk and, um, and Slack, I tried to bring like a really fun, unique visual identity, um, a unique editorial tone and voice. Um, and, and really the big thing, and it's something I, I tell a lot of startups I work with now, kind of advisor capacity is like, hey, just because you're B2B SaaS does not mean you need to be like boring and stale and wear a suit and only speak in acronyms, right? <laughs> like people are people, um, you know, and, and, and I would say like, it, take that take that visual identity, have a, have a strong color palette, have a mascot, have a strong editorial tone and voice. And not only that, don't just put it on your website, put it into product. That's where people spend all their time. I mean, when people talk about like product like growth, what they're referring to is like people spend most of the time in the product. And so as a marketer, you can't just go make your website all fancy. Like you got to think about like, well, hey, how do we make it during the sign up process? They have a little fun, right? Like maybe not just use okay, next, accept, cancel for all your buttons, right? And if you just let the developers do it, that's what they will. I mean, I love developers, but you'll, they'll just do like a very utilitarian look, right? Don't just have a white background with black text. Like think about how you can infuse moments of fun and, and delight. And um, I think that was the other area I spent a lot of time on, you know, really at all three of those companies was like, hey, in B2C, like you have to be unique, right? You can't survive if you're not. And in B2B SaaS, a lot of companies have not focused on that, but really like, if you have success, you have 10 other companies that are in the same space, right? Like you have to stand out. So I think like a lot of those learnings on the tech stack side of being a little more advanced, building more iconic, unique brands, like all those things I try to bring with me into it. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, we'll come back to marketing playbooks later on, but I guess all SaaS companies have a chance to make it to a billion dollar valuation. But what are some of the things you look for in early stage companies to make you think, okay, this company has a real shot at becoming a unicorn. Yeah, it's a great question, right? Um, and I'm kind of in a unique position. I, I actually have a lot of companies that reach out to me that want me to help them out as a board advisor. Um, and so one of the litmus tests I use is just product market fit, right? Like, hey, like, because a lot of times what I do is like, I, I bring more of the, the more modern go to market. And 
they have to have good product market fit though, right? Like I'm gasoline to the fire. If there's no fire in the first place, you, know, you can just pour white gasoline. It's just going to get, you know, nothing's going to happen. Um, so I've, I'm a big believer um, in a single metric that I think is the most important metric for a company to think about, and that's net promoter score. Um, net promoter score, for those listening, for those who haven't, you know, played around with it, it's simply one question, right? Like how likely are you to recommend uh, Slack to a friend or colleague or Salesforce or Zendesk or whatever company you're with? Um, and really what it does is it gives you a really good feel for, hey, the people that are using this product to start off with, what is the experience they're having and how likely are they going to go talk about it? Um, that's, that's a really good, for me, like an early litmus test. And, you know, companies reach out that even don't know what it is or aren't tracking it or aren't really tracking any type of experience metrics. For me, that's a little bit of a red flag. Um, and I look at that as... You know, if a company that that is tracking it, tracking experience metrics, and they have a pretty good one, or they have a plan to improve it, that's a really good indicator that they'll become a unicorn. Now, with that said, you know, unicorns are great, but there's a lot of unicorns now. I mean, to me, like I think Decacorn is the new standard, right? Like that—that's a you know, 10 billion valuation versus a billion valuation. Um, but the sky's the limit. I mean, we were talking about this, you know, earlier. You know, I really think we're in the golden age of SaaS right now. There are so many spaces and verticals that are getting disrupted. And like, if you're an entrepreneur out there, this is an incredible time. The barriers entry have never been lower. You know, if you can just find some pain and fix it, like there's tremendous opportunity there, right? So um, yeah, really exciting time to be around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think great advice and, and for sure, Decacorn is the new unicorn, uh, <laughs> as they say. How about then from a marketing perspective, what do marketing teams then need to do and bring to the table in order to help take their companies from say 1 million ARR startup to a hundred million ARR business? Yeah, great question. I would say the first thing is you have to stay intellectually curious. Like you have to stay on top of the trends. Like marketing SaaS online it all evolves so fast and so quickly the tech is always changing updating you know the targeting capabilities the nurturing capabilities the even just really diving into multi-touch attribution modeling like that's something like is your marketer you need to know that you need to understand that you need to know the difference between first and last touch and any touch and what the more you know regression analysis will show you um so i i think one it's really important just to stay on top of that, you know, have that intellectual curiosity, listen to podcasts, go to conferences, go to different sites, right? Like see what other SaaS companies are doing, what's working for them. Um, because really the playbook always changes, right? Like the playbook I used for Salesforce was different than what I used for Zendesk, which is what I used for Slack. And it's different from what I advise companies now that I, that I partner up with. Um, that being said, you know, I, I do think, you know, a million to a hundred million, you know, you have to build the right team. You know, I, I really look for people, the same thing, that share that curiosity. They're going to bring more modern techniques. Um, I, I'd say in B2B SaaS, everybody's hiring for B2B SaaS. So again, don't be afraid to hire someone from B2C, right? Like maybe they bring a, a different perspective, a uniqueness to them. Um, you know, build a brand with personality. You know, that's something I get asked a lot, like, well, we want to be different, but we don't have a $10 million marketing budget or a $20 million marketing budget. You don't need it. It's okay. Right? Like, first startup I did at college, like, I didn't even know there were VCs that would give you money, right? Like, I'm, I'm very much used to working with not high marketing budgets. But, you know, if you do have a really unique tone and voice that infuses into the product or a really unique visual identity, um, you know, you can do it without spending a lot of money or you can invest more in product-like growth, right? And think about, like, how you do high velocity or freemium or pricing and packaging, 
you know, delayed upgrade threshold drivers. Like all, there's, there's so many different strategies and tactics out there. Um, and, and as much as I'd like to go do this, 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 it's going to change every year, right? But if you come in with a mindset of, hey, how can I, I stay and use a more modern playbook? How can I, you know, emulate some of the more iconic B2C brands and take the best in there? Um, th that to me is the winning recipe to get you to that, you know, going from a million ARR to a hundred million ARR. Yeah, absolutely. Really good points. So from here, let's get back to your time in B2B SaaS. And I'd love to know, were there any significant differences in the approaches you took to leading marketing at Salesforce, Zendesk, and Slack? Yeah, I'd say the biggest one was, you know, when I started at Salesforce, like I said, I, I love Salesforce, but it was a very sales-centric organization. And I think building up more of a demand gen muscle was really important. So there I focused a lot on the tech stack, a lot in content marketing, a lot in SEO. Um, when I moved to Zendesk, I started shifting a little bit more to a more customer-centric type philosophy. So I really started thinking about the brand as the sum of every single experience someone has um, and how do we create these you know, great experiences. Um, and so I, when I got in there, like I really started evangelizing for NPS, we built a, you know, we productized it. We started tracking it more internally. Um, we were really responsive for people. We, we, we tapped in a lot more in evangelism. So like if someone rate us a nine or a 10 on the NPS survey, we would go back and go, Hey, thank you. <laughs> We've always grown free word of mouth. Would you mind filling out a review for us on, you know, G2 crowd or trust radius or whatever it was. Um, and you know, I, I think, even at Salesforce, we were a little afraid, like, hey, as we move up market, can we, you know, still have that fun brand? And at Zendesk, we just said, yeah, I'm like, I, you know, I've sold to enough large companies. I know they're just people at the end of the day. And if you have a fun brand or a different brand, um, they're going to resonate with you. So I spent a lot of time there. When I went to Slack, I think I really evolved and spent a lot more time on the product-like growth side. So, you know, for our big metrics at Slack were not just net promoter score, but daily active users. And then we had ARR. Those were our three big ones. Um, and we spent a lot of time on how do we evolve pricing and packaging? So you would see like this evolution of freemium um, where at first, you know, even at Salesforce, a lot of companies either didn't offer a free plan or if they did, it was, it was time gated. So you had a two week free trial, right? And then you started seeing this evolution like at Zendesk, we had a, a little bit more free plan. Um, and I, I think there was user gated. You could have up to three users on it. Um, and it started opening up more features, right? And then at Slack, we moved to, um, or I really pushed for like a really big freemium model. So in other words, it wasn't time gated. It wasn't user gated. Um, you could have as many people as you wanted on it, you know, uh, and now that you got access to all the features. And we're, what we really tried to do is we did more time-delayed threshold upgrade drivers, which is a very fancy word of just saying um, you have some type of threshold that kicks in after a while. So for us, it was the 10,000 message limit, right? And when you hit 10,000 messages, you would be prompted with, hey, have you thought about upgrading, right? Um, and we'd say, if you know, if you don't, like, well, you can still keep using Slack, but we're just, you know, we're not going to keep all the historical um, messages and files. Like, it'll we'll just keep a running 10,000 limit. Um, that was really big for us, right? And that was different too, because like there's this concept in PLG where you want to get um, time to value, but you also, this is my thing, you want to get value before you force a purchase decision, right? And so that 10,000 message, I mean, people didn't get that until about six months in. And if you think about it, you've had six months worth of 
high value. You've got pretty much, you can use all the features of the software. So it wasn't crippleware. And when, fun, when someone finally says, oh, I need to make a decision, like they had a lot of value and we had like crazy good upgrade rates. Um, so anyway, like I think for me, like it was that evolution, like I'm a big believer in PLG now, I really advocate for it. But, you know, over time, like the playbook will change, right? And you're gonna use different things for each one. Um, I would say that the consistencies among all of them were that, you know, all three companies were very customer centric. You know, all three companies were willing to do a slightly different playbook that had been done before, right? They were willing to go, yeah, we're gonna take some risks or use some new technologies or, you know, be a little bit more pushing what the brand can be. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, I, I think like if, if you can rally around even customer centric metrics, which we did at all three, but really more so at Slack, um, you know, you're going to be better in the long run. Um, you know, if you can kind of get that organic groundswell of support, you know, that comes from all the teams, marketing, sales, product support, focusing on customer centric metrics, you're, you're going to do well in the long run. It's time for a commercial. Now, this podcast is brought to you by Advanced B2B, and Advanced B2B helps B2B SaaS companies from all around the world find their way to sustainable growth through marketing. And we have a special offer for listeners of the Growth of Podcast. You can go to advancedb2b.com slash TGH and get a free assessment of your marketing, plus some ideas you'll be able to implement right away. So go to advancedb2b.com slash TGH for more info. Yeah, I think it's great to hear about those marketing philosophies at each company. And I'd love to dig into the nitty gritty a little more. So what did your actual marketing playbooks look like? So we had... Um organizationally, like, and maybe I'll dive into a little there, like, like, how do you build out a team and what does it look like? Um, you know, generally the, the first teams I would build out was the marketing ops team. Um, because I think like at the end of the day marketing, you're just spending time and dollars <laughs> and it's really good if you can actually show if that stuff works or not. And a lot of times the marketing ops team is the one that helps build the metrics, track them, put in the tech stack, the attribution modeling, the lead scoring. Um, so we did focus a lot of time on there. Um, building those teams up. I, I was always a big believer in content marketing. We'd have really big content marketing teams at like Zendesk and Slack. Um, part of that comes from my SEO days and the B2C. Like I just knew that content's good, right? You can get a lot of traffic from there. Also, from a customer centricity perspective, content is a really good way to help someone out through their buyer's journey, right? And and I've seen, and by the way, this is, I, I would argue, you want to get create good content. And when I mean good, I mean, helpful content, content that someone educates them on what your space is, that answers questions they have, that talks about pain points that they have. There's a lot of like slimy brochureware content, which I'm not a fan of. Um, if you've ever read that, I think everybody listening has pod probably at some point, but it's like, oh, let me tell you why we're awesome in these 10 ways and you should buy us right now, right? Like to me, that's kind of like slimy. It's a little like pushy. Um, I liked more like you view these as longer journeys, right? Um, and by the way, when we would dive into the attribution analysis, we would see that someone like a Salesforce, it would take three months for them to become a lead. And then it would become another three months for them from like a lead to a purchase, right? So you're talking like a long time there and you can't just like get them in one day to buy, right? Like you wanna view this more as a journey, like create great helpful content um, and and leverage that content everywhere. We, we would leverage content via retargeting campaigns, via, um, 
email via in product messaging. That's a big one. That's like another like POG type tactic I really advocate for is people spend their time in the product. They don't spend your time on your website or your blog in the product. So how do you deliver that content to them in the product? How do you leverage pricing and packaging to get them to upgrade? How do you deliver a better experience in the product, unique visual identity in the product, unique editorial tone of voice in the product? Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's hard, right? You know, it's like, what are the specific playbooks? There's so many different ones we used, but again, at the end of the day for me, it was, you know, is this customer centric? Is this going to deliver a good experience? Um, and, and, and is this more modern, right? Is this just something that we're just using from 20 years ago or that, Hey, this is leveraging new targeting capabilities, or is this leveraging better attribution analysis? Are we testing things? Are we seeing if it actually works or not? Um, how do we, and how do we rally teams behind that? How do we incentivize the teams with the right metrics so that they go towards those experience driven behaviors versus just giving them pure lead metrics? Um, you know, there's a lot in the detail, but you know, at a high level, those are some of the different things we try to embrace. Yeah. I think these are really good points and great to keep in mind when it comes back to the actual tactics and the playbooks that marketing teams run. And you kind of touched on this as well in, in that previous answer, but let's unpack this a little bit more. So how did you structure your marketing team? So what are the areas you need to cover to get that growth engine up and running? Yeah. Um, so uh, one thing I'll say is to start like, hey, I think this is always evolving, right? And if you look at, if you ask 10 different CMOs, you're going to literally see 10 totally different teams on how they're named, how they're structured, how they're metriced. Um, for me, uh, I touched on it briefly, but my main core teams were, you know, marketing ops, uh, product marketing, uh, content marketing. I would have a, uh, a campaigns team or advertising team. Um, it was not called a demand gen team and I'll <laughs> happy to touch on that as well. Uh, you know, and then as you grow the team, you start getting these other ones, you, you know, an international team, a PR team, a customer evangelism team, a delight team, a brand team, et cetera, down the road. Um, you know, for me, I, I tried to just structure these teams on how I thought we could deliver a great experience to the user, how we could infuse that uh, marketing DNA into the product. You know, our teams would think about not just prospects, but also customers, right? And SaaS, half your revenue is usually going to come from add-on upgrade expansion, right? So you have a huge base with your existing customers. Um, and then another thing I would tell those teams was, you know, specifically at Slack, I remember just saying like, hey guys, like your goal is not to get people to buy from us. Your goal is to get people to recommend us. And I just thought that was a, it was a higher bar. It was a harder bar. And it, and, and you had to realize too, that you were just, you know, one part of this overall experience. But I think we've all experienced this, you know, marketing, you can be a great experience or a horrible experience. I've, I've certainly visited a lot of B2B SaaS companies where, you know, I just want to find out what they do and, you know, their video or their demo is completely gated or all their content's gated. I can't see anything. I fill this giant form. I fill it out. I'm immediately like harassed. Like, are you ready to buy? Are you ready to buy? Are you ready to buy? <laughs> you know, or the ads are creepy or they follow you or they're just, you know, it's, it's you know, slimy brochure where there's so many bad things we can do in marketing just to kind of get a very short-term lead, you know, which is why too, I think a lot of times people talk about like, well, what are the right metrics for marketing, right? And how do we incentivize these teams to deliver the right behaviors? Yeah, absolutely. And let's come back to that point on demand gen. As I listened to your interview on Dave Gerhardt's podcast, and, and you spoke about not having a demand gen function since I think what you said is that generating demand is basically 
the ultimate purpose of marketing at the end of the day. And demand gen is typically in, in a lot of SaaS companies that have a demand team, is the engine room of marketing. So why didn't you have dedicated demand gen teams? Yeah, I, I think it's a loaded term. I think it's a bad term. I think it's a horrible label. I do not like demand gen team names. Um, because, you know, one, all right, well, what is the creative team doing? What is the content marketing team doing? <laughs> you know, what are product marketers doing? You know, it, are those teams not help create demand? I, I think there is, I think there's a philosophical wrong assessment of, of what marketing does and the impact that they have. And I think looking to just one team and saying, you're the only team that creates demand is just patently wrong, right? Like the entire marketing team creates demand. And then outside of that, the entire company creates demand. If you believe in product-led growth, if you believe the brand is the sum of every single experience someone has, the sales experience is going to impact your growth. The marketing experience is going to impact your growth. The support experience is going to impact your growth. The product experience is going to impact your growth. The legal experience is going to impact your growth, right? All these little micro experiences help drive it. And for marketing to say only demand gen creates demand, or even for marketing to say only marketing creates demand, I, I just think that's patently wrong, right? And it, it leads you down these paths of creating the wrong metrics. You, you just have leads as your metric or MQLs, you know, and, and, and that's, if MQLs go up, great. And, you know, marketing takes all credit, but if it goes down, you know, you're like, oh, well, you know, I guess we're the ones, right? When really it could be maybe your net promoter score is declining, right? Or maybe, you know, you have new competition. There's all these other external variables. Um, so I, I just think like, you know, how marketing teams organize, how they're structured, you know, I, I like more shared base goals. So I like where you have like product like growth type metrics. So you either have time to value, net promoter score, CSAT, DAUs, you know, choose your poison and then partner that with the product team, you know, or the support team and, and share in those goals and how say, how can we improve these, right? Because if you only do projects that only marketing can do, they tend to be very siloed and they very tend to be very top of funnel. But if people spend most of their time in the product and if you can partner with product and all these different dev teams to infuse a more product-like growth, either virality, personality in the product, um, freemium, bottoms up, whatever it is, like that's going to get you like a dramatically different growth level. Um, and so that's a very long way of like why I don't like a demand gen team. I think it's just a totally different philosophy. And to be honest, I saw into a lot of marketing teams that are like, you know, they're organized purely top of funnel. All, they're only metric on MQLs, you know, and so all their focus and energy goes to, you know, outside the websites, just bringing people in, it doesn't matter if they bad experience, just get as many as you can to just get that MQL number. They're not looking at any type of awareness metrics, a recall, on a recall, they're not looking at any type of experience metrics. Um, and I think like that, that creates very short term bad outcomes. Boom, mic drop right there. That was, <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot for people to think about in marketing. Um, I think really, really good points. And I think before we wrap up and move to our closing questions, our Fast Five Challenge. Any final advice for founders, CEOs, and marketers on how to build up a billion-dollar SaaS company? I'd say my biggest advice is most SaaS founders, I, I think the predominant trend, not always, but predominant trend is they're going to have a tech background. They're going to come from product side. They usually identify some pain point. They build a product around it. Um, and my biggest advice is that 
you can spend a lot of cycles on creating a great quote unquote product, but if you don't think about the same levels of passion and energy and modernizing the go to market side of the house, you can fail, right? Um, go to market. And I'm broadly encompassing that as like marketing sales, support, success. These customer facing teams have a massive, massive impact on your company's ability to succeed. And you have to have someone that's passionate, that's going to bring uh, a more modern approach to how these teams operate. How, uh, who are you hiring? How are you organized? What are the metrics you're putting to them? Um, what are the playbooks they're using? Because it's really, really easy. Founder, I know you're out there. I know you've had good product market success. You got your A, your Series A, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go hire. Um, I got to hire someone big, VP or CMO, and I'm going to take them from Oracle because they know it, right? And then they, they put in like a 30-year-old playbook. Sorry, I'm sure there's good people from Oracle. But, um, you know, you got you to put as much passion and energy on understanding that go-to-market has a huge, huge impact. And little things like freemium, bottoms-up, high velocity, your net promoter score, your brand, all these little micro things are going to have a huge, huge impact. Um, and I would just say, like, just think about that. Like, find the right people and try to embrace that side of it because it will have a huge, huge impact. And if you if you become a, a unicorn or even down the road, a, a decacorn and beyond. Awesome. Well, this was super good. And we can move to our closing questions and our fast five challenge. So to wrap things up, I'll ask five questions. And all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. Bill, you've already done this before. So uh, are you Sounds ready good. for the second time? Lightning round. I'm ready. All right. First question, what is the one book you'd recommend others to read? I'm going to deviate. I'm a huge podcast person. Um, and so I'm going to say Manager Tools. It's an awesome podcast. Uh, it's all about being a better manager, a better leader. And they've got like a thousand episodes. Dive into it. You'll love it. Awesome. Second question, a SaaS company you love and why? Better Up. Uh, I am a board advisor there. Uh, they do... Uh, I'm really big too on kind of that, that previous answer, Manager Tools, about making people better, their careers better, you know, learning, mentoring, and, and BetterUp's all about like online coaching for to help you become a better person, a better leader, a better manager. And so they've really, um, I think helped a ton of people out and it's just an honor to work with a company like that. Third question then, favorite place to learn about marketing online? Ooh, well, like I said, I'm a big pod person. So I, most of my life I was doing long drives. <laughs> if you're ever stuck in traffic in the Bay Area, you listen to a lot of podcasts, right? So I would say, hey, The Growth Hub is an amazing podcast. Um, you know, and there's so many other good, there's Saster, SaaS Stock, there's a ton of good, great pods out there. Um, and, you know, there's good online resources, there's good conferences, but those are a couple that I use to hear from other people, right? And what are they doing and how can I become better myself? Awesome. Fourth question, most important growth metric? Net promoter score. Love it. It's the same answer as last time. I'm consistent. Customer exactly. centricity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. And then fifth and final question, best piece of advice for fellow marketers? Oh, I think you just got to stay hungry. Stay hungry and learn. You know, I remember when I was learning about SEO, um, I didn't know anything about it. I'm like, I should really learn about this. And I just remember every day after work, I came home and spent like four hours learning about SEO. I read every single forum, every single, you know, black, dark magic forum, <laughs> you know, white hat, black hat. I learned, every, and I just, because no one was out there. No one was teaching it, right? This wasn't a course in college or, so you can learn this stuff, right? You can, uh, there's so much unlimited info out there. And if you can just stay hungry 
and know that go-to-market will always be evolving, changing, um, and, and just try to and just try to bring the best, the most modern approaches, I think you're going to have a huge leg up on the competition because it's very easy just to go, oh, this worked. I'm just going to do this for the next, you know, 10 years. Um, and you have to challenge yourself and dive into areas that you're not comfortable with and just and just want to stay hungry. You know, keep learning. Awesome. Well, Bill, as it was the last time, this was an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for coming back on the Growth of Podcast. Oh, it was such an honor. Uh, thank you for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. That was Bill Masaitis on how to build a billion-dollar SaaS company. So thank you so much for listening, and if you're enjoying the show, we'd absolutely love for you to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And as ever, you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at NordicEdward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth of Podcasts brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off for one final time. And make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different